0: Great to be here and uh, we've actually been back from the par since uh, the end of June but we've been uh, away on holiday, we've been back up to the par, we've been to Fargo, we've been to Thunder Bay and uh, at least now for the month of November as far as we know we're here so we're really looking forward to reconnecting with people. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians and chapter 3. There's a verse I want to draw your attention to there. But before we get there, why don't we start with some fun? This is a not-so-skill-testing question. Who is this a picture of? Yeah, now that looks for all the world like Barack Obama, doesn't it? Well, in actual fact, it's not the 44th president of the United States. This is. The first picture was of a guy called Reggie Brown, who's his doppelganger. He actually makes a living by impersonating the former president and by also doing stand-up comedy. Well, how about this picture? For those in the know, that looks for all the world like the very talented Ed Sheeran. But actually... It's not. This is Ed Sheeran. The other guy is called Wesley Byrne. He makes a living by stocking supermarket shelves in the city of Manchester in the United Kingdom. But on more than one occasion, he has been mistaken for the pop star. In fact, one time, uh, uh, some young people mobbed him so violently that he had to get out his passport and show them that it really wasn't. He really wasn't Ed Sheeran. Because they were pressing him to sing a song. Now, it's not just adults who are spitting images. Look at these babies. This one looks like Danny DeVito, doesn't he? This little cutie has a striking resemblance to Vladimir Putin, the Russian premier. Although I don't think he interfered in the US elections. And given a few more years, this little guy would, could be mistaken for celebrity chef Gordon Ramsey. But did you know that there are doppelgangers right here in Gateway Church? In fact, some of them might well be sitting in this very room this morning. I was on a British Airways flight with Ron in the early 1990s and the... Uh, One of the flight attendants came up to our seat and said to Ron, Sir, has anybody ever told you you look like Eric Clapton? Well, I took a look at Ron and thought, well, maybe he does look like Eric Clapton. Our senior pastor resembles a pop star. Here's Drew Carey. And his double, Rick Capani. (laughs) And here is Rowan Atkinson, better known as Mr. Bean, and his stand-in, there he is, our own sound man, Randy Braun. From this time forward, known as Randy Bean. (laughs) Now, some of us look like other people, but actually all of us are called to look like Jesus Christ. And as we bring into land our series on more than conquerors that's what I want to talk to you about this morning being like Jesus Christ now just so we know that this is a biblical truth why don't we take a minute just to look at some scriptures that tell us about this call as he who called you is holy you must also be holy writes Peter Paul says for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ that's about being like Jesus those whom he form you he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone when he is fully trained will be just like teacher and he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers until we all attain the measure of the fullness of Christ and the verse that I want to point out to you is verse 18 of the chapter that you have got open there for 2 Corinthians 3 for we all with unveiled face Beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image as the Lord. From one degree of glory to another. All these verses talk about being like Jesus. In actual fact, there's a long word to describe that. And the word is sanctification. Being made holy. Holy. Now holiness isn't a popular subject in the postmodern church, but it's a real popular subject in the Bible, because there are over six hundred and thirty mentions of the word either holy or holiness. Our text this morning is two Corinthians three eighteen. So as we put it up on the screen, why don't we say it together? And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. The title of my message is transformed into his likeness. And there are two simple points that I want to make. The first is the heart of sanctification. The heart of sanctification. A moment ago, I said that sanctification was about being made holy. But what does holiness mean? Well, in the scripture, the word holy or holiness is applied primarily to God himself. And the Bible applies it to him time after time after time. Hannah cries out, there is none holy as the Lord. Moses says the Lord is majestic in holiness. And the cherubim who attend God's presence when Isaiah saw his vision of God on his throne, he heard them calling out, holy, holy, holy. When holiness applies to God, it speaks of his holy otherness. It means that God is in a category all of his own. That God isn't a human being on a huge and grand scale, subject to all the passions, weaknesses and problems that we have. Karl Barth famously said, you can't say God by saying man in a loud voice. That's how the Greeks and Romans thought of God. But the Hebrew God, our God, is the God who made the universe. He's the God who sat on the throne of ultimate authority and simply spoke into the pre-creation chaos and brought from it cosmos. With a word he took which was that which was without form and gave it form. With just the word of his mouth he took that which was empty and filled it with all the profusion of life that we come to understand as the world in which we live. This God is powerful. This God is mighty. This God is above every other God and every other potentate. He's above every emperor and every king. He's in a category all of his own. He is holy. He is holy other. And he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. All 91 billion light years of it. God holds it there as though it's nothing. And he exists apart from it and observes it in all its parts. He is in a category all of his own. And the wonderful thing is, with humans, power corrupts. It makes them cruel. But with God, his power is only balanced by his goodness. He is gracious, he is loving, he is kind, he is compassionate, he is faithful, he is true. Such a God defies our comprehension. No one is like him, he is totally other, he is absolutely unique, he is holy. That, by the way, is why sometimes he intervenes in our lives in ways that we can't understand because his thoughts aren't our thoughts his ways aren't our ways as the heavens are above the earth so are his thoughts and his ways higher than ours and when god acts in such a way that we it doesn't make sense we can't understand why and we are prompted to ask those why questions instead of trying to understand just worship because that's what he wants he wants us to worship him because God refuses to be understood and fathomed and laid out like a laboratory rat on a dissecting table. That we understand and predict and, and are greater than who he is because we've, we've understood him and we contain him within our minds. God will always be offending our minds to remind us that he is in a category of his own. He is holy. Holy. But the Bible tells us, apart from God, there are certain things that are holy. And this is especially true in the Old Testament. The Sabbath day is described as holy, the ground on which Moses stood was holy, the high priest's garments were holy. The vessels in the temple were holy. The people of Israel were holy. Even today we call Israel the holy land. How come they're holy? Is there something intrinsically different and spiritual about the soil of Israel to the soil of Greece or Italy or England? Well, not at all. These things are called holy because they are set apart. They belong to God. They are for his use. So holiness is a divine attribute, his holy otherness. And it's a positional standing describing those things that are taken out of general circulation and used for God. Now swing this over into the New Testament and it applies to you and me. Peter says of us, We are a holy nation. And Paul says of us that we are saints. The already sanctified ones. Even though every one of us has an awful long way to grow. We are sanctified as a finished act. Not because of who we are. But because of whose we are. The moment God called you the moment he saved you, the moment you joined his family, he said, you're sanctified. You're a saint. You're set apart from me. You are my possession. Wow. So does that mean that we can give up the struggle against the flesh? Well, no it doesn't. Because the Bible teaches us that as well as Sanctification being a status, being a finished process, being something that God applies to us, it's also an ongoing process. It's from one degree into another. Let me try and illustrate it. When I come to Christ, here's my life, I am clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. That's how God sees each one of us. Now we all know that underneath, in our lives, there's issues we're facing. Every one of us are, are struggling with something. We're trying to change. That is the finished process. Sometimes called justification, and it's the finished process of sanctification. Sanctification. It's the mystery of me being in Christ. But in addition to that, sanctification is a process. God takes that righteousness and he works it into my life through a process that we call transformation, being made like him. Being sanctified, being made holy. That is righteousness imputed. This is righteousness imparted. That is the finished work. That's our status. Nothing can change that. But this is the process. This doesn't hurt at all. (laughs) This. Hurts like crazy because God puts us on the anvil of change and forges Christ in us. That's me being in Christ. This is Christ being in me. And every one of us is in that process. In fact, Ken made mention that a group of guys have been going through the Conquer series and They've been spending time getting free of the polluting pull of pornography. And they've been spending time having Christ put into them. Way to go, guys. Now, how does that process take place? And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of the time this morning. We've looked at the heart of sanctification. You could call it the meaning Now, let's look at the means of sanctification. What tools does God use to change us? Well, I want to mention three. First of all, there's God's written word. And the writer to the Hebrews describes God's written word as a sharp, double-edged sword. Two edges. So you would expect... There to be a twofold way in which the written word of God helps us to become like Jesus. And the first way is that it keeps us from sin. So Jesus is in the wilderness. The devil comes up to him and tempts him. He says, Turn these stones into bread. And how does Jesus resist that temptation? By quoting scripture. He says, man will not live by bread alone. That's Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And then the devil takes him up on the temple and he said, jump down from this great parapet and you know the angels will come, they'll uphold you, you'll just glide to the ground in front of everybody and boy, will you have a following. And Jesus answers, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That's Deuteronomy six, sixteen. And finally he gives him a visions of all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to him. I'll give you all these. You'll be the greatest emperor the world has ever seen. But just bow down and worship me. And Jesus deals with it. Once again by quoting scripture. You'll worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6.13 Now how could Jesus do that? Well. I'm sure many of us would think, well, he was God, wasn't he? I mean, all that stuff's downloaded into him. It's come native to his thinking. But the truth is that the reality of his incarnation eclipsed the glory of his divinity. And Jesus had to learn these things. He had to read. He had to study. He had to memorise. And as he does that, so he equips himself to be able to resist sin when it came to tempt him. And in the same way, that's how you and I resist sin. How shall a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Ron calls these memorized verses silver bullets. It's the discipline of hiding them in our hearts. So we can do what Jesus did when sin comes our way. Hey, why don't you just come and do this? Be holy, even as I am holy. Hey, take a look at this. Nobody will know. Nobody sees. You'll not yield your members as instruments of sin. you coming to the party on Saturday night. You know who's going to be there. You are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy people. The other way in which the written word of God helps us grow more like Jesus is because it actually shapes us into his image. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. That word correct it is the word that we get the orthodontics from, or orthodox. And, and, and it, it's, it's that which takes what is twisted and bends it back into shape. And that's what the word of God does with us. Now, I've confessed to you before that uh, I grew up in a part of the UK where people were very, very careful with their money. Mean, some people would say. And I grew up being very tight financially. In fact, I could identify with the guy I read about from California who used to use dental floss and then hang it up. So he could use it again the next day so he didn't have to buy a new packet so soon. Or or Charles Menard, who was a a very wealthy but a very stingy uh, French nobleman. For three times a day for 60 years of his life, he would eat his meals from his desk drawer. So if anybody came, he could slam the door shut lest he be expected to offer them hospitality. I didn't like giving tips. I didn't like spending money. And one day I was reading John's Gospel, chapter three. This is what I read For God so loved the world that he gave. And I couldn't read anymore. It was like the Holy Spirit just stopped my eyes and focused them on those two words he gave. The Lord said to me, if you're a follower of me, if my spirit lives in you, because I'm a giver, you need to be a giver too. And that uh, correcting and training function of the word of God set me on a course of transformation. But God doesn't only speak to us through his word. He does speak to us through his word. But he can also speak immediately and directly as R.T. Kendall and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say. And these are those words that come to us in the stillness of our heart. Like promptings. Like stray thoughts that go across our mind. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you wasn't meaning through, through the scripture, through their Old Testament. He was saying, through my immediate, direct, personal words that I've given to you, that's had a cleansing effect on you. We left our home church, I think, five times now to go and help other churches in their um, need. And on one of those trips... We were in a church and there was a person in this church who didn't want us there. Didn't like us being there. And uh, I remember one morning we went in and we said, good morning. And this person actually growled at us. I've never heard a human being make that noise. I've heard a dog make it or a bear make it, but never a person. And especially not at me. So... Val and I said, what are we going to do? And you know what What I wanted to do was, was pray them out of the province or even the country. What I wanted to do was call a church meeting and bring discipline down. What I wanted to do was call down the plague of boils. <laughs> so we said to the Lord, Lord, what shall we do? And the Lord spoke three words, immediate and direct. Just love them and I thought of a poem I'd read years ago he drew a circle that shut me out heretic rebel a thing to flout. but love and I had the wit to win we drew a circle that took him in the Lord said to Val you can do it with my love And so we did. We we started to affirm and bless and encourage every time. And gradually, they were transformed. But, here was the surprise. I was transformed. You see, their heart was hurt. My heart was hard. And that's a way worse condition to be in. But just through exercising love, in obedience to that immediate and direct word, God made me a little more like Jesus. And you know what, folks? In our everyday life, that troublesome neighbor, that difficult circumstance, that person that's misjudged us, spoke unkindly to us, these are great opportunities When we can grow to become like Jesus as we ask him how to respond and then walk in obedience to it. That's God's word. The second means is God's spirit. Now the truth of of it is that none of us can change on our own. Sanctification doesn't come about by soul power. It comes about by spirit Power. why don't we say that together sanctification doesn't come about by soul power but by spirit power it's dependent on the Holy Spirit so imagine you getting an invitation from your rich uncle in Florida and he says come on down for a whole month it's really balmy down here and you think what a great idea that is In fact, you know, the the geese are going, the snow's falling, winter's beginning. It would be wonderful to go to Florida for a whole month. And then you get another email and he says, I'm even going to help you get here. You think, woohoo. The next day, this parcel arrives. It's a big cardboard box. You think, gee, how can we... And you rip it open and it's a pedal bike. You think, is he serious? Does he want us to pedal all the way to Palm Beach? That's 3,500 kilometers. Boy, I I wouldn't even make it to Morris. You'd be calling 911 before the perimeter. (laughs) But you know what? That's exactly how some people approach sanctification. They approach being like Jesus by peddling more, trying harder, making effort, and sweating it. And it's miserable because it doesn't work. God never intended transformation to happen like that. Our verse didn't say, you know, and we all, as we pedal harder, are being transformed into his image. It said, as we behold his face. We are transformed into his image. So I get another email from my uncle. This time he says, oops, that parcel you received yesterday went to the wrong address. Look out tomorrow for the right sort of help. So tomorrow comes and lo and behold, a courier shows up with an envelope with two tickets for WestJet. Now that's a better way of getting to Florida. All I've got to do is jump on the plane, sit down, buckle in, and let the energy of the jet take me there. And you know what, folks? That's how we are made more like Jesus. That's why, by the way, there's an encounter after the Conquer series. Because the conquer series, that's exposed where change needs to come. And the encounter is where the Holy Spirit can engage with us to help us change. Okay. Sanctification is not our responsibility. It's our response to his ability. Okay. It takes God... To make us like God. It's God who's at work in you. To will and to do his good pleasure. He who has begun a good work will bring it to completion. The third way in which God makes us like Jesus. His word, his spirit and his people. The community. Proverbs 27, 17 says as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Another. Let's move to the questions, Randy. Chuck Swindoll is involved in a a group where iron sharpens iron. Men meet together and they ask themselves some gutsy questions. Here they are, there's seven of them. Have you been with a member of the opposite sex this week in a way that was considered inappropriate? Have you been financially righteous this week? Are we tracking? Yeah. Have you viewed any explicit material this week? Have you spent regular devotional time this week? Have you been faithful in your call this week? Have you taken time to be with your family this week? Have you just lied to me? Iron sharpening iron. Being made like Jesus. I mentioned that we sometimes go off and help other churches. One time we went to Niagara Falls. I, um, we went out to get a, a, an apartment that we'd live in. And in my wisdom and great faith, I settled for a, a room in somebody's basement without a window, sharing a bathroom with their teenage son. But hey, you know what? There was nothing else available. So I came home, and the guy said, Did you find somewhere? Well, yeah, we found somewhere. You know, you feel, well, where is it? So you say, Oh, it's in a basement with no window and sharing a bathroom with a teenage boy. The guy said, You can't do what you're supposed to do living there. Boy, that was a real lack of faith. Go back to the Lord and ask him for something better. Do you know what that was? What that rebuke was? Iron sharpening iron. Saying, you're moving in unbelief, not faith. So we went, I repented. We went back to the Lord. We said, Lord, would you give us somewhere that is much better than what we can do? And then a lady called just before we left. She said, I think I've got the right apartment for you that you have to commit to it without seeing it. I said, well, it can't be any worse than my choice, so yes. And I can still remember pulling up and being taken upstairs to this apartment. It was in the best street in the town. It was in in the home of a retired doctor. It was the granny flat he had made for his his mother, and my choice was no windows. This had windows on two walls. We were up in the trees. Our balcony was literally in the trees, and squirrels would come al- along our, our fence up there. And we overlooked a park that was more like a, a, gar- a yard that was more like a park. Deer would come down there. And God said, this is what I intended for you. That that's what you settled for. And it was the community that exposed that unbelief and said, hey, believe God for something better. That helped Val be able to believe God for all that provision that came in the downtown classroom. So... How do we are made more like Jesus? God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. Now, let me bring this into land. And there's six points of application I want to make. The first is this. Get ready. Because God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. Get ready for change, because God is calling us to be more like Jesus. Number two, load your silver bullets. I can give you some, Ken can give you some, Peter can give you some. You can get some yourself from the scripture. Load your silver bullets, because you're going to need them to resist the enemy. Number three, don't get discouraged. Look, sanctification's a process. We've all got a long way to grow. It's better to measure how far we've come than how far we have yet to go. Number four, draw on the Holy Spirit. He's your best friend and your best change agent. Number five, commit to being holy sorry commit to being accountable beg your pardon as a means to being holy get in a relationship open your life ask them to ask you those awkward questions and then sixthly and finally the word holy and the word whole w-h-o-l-e come from the same stem in the English language so holiness is really wholeness that every time God makes us whole, or more whole, th- that's a step in our sanctification. And I was praying about th- this, this meeting this morning, uh, and the Lord just put in my heart um, the word hearts. And uh, I, I just want to share some things with you in, 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 for one minute that we shared in the first service. Is there anybody here uh, that has uh, an irregular heart rhythm? If if that's you, can you just pop your hand up? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I believe God wants to touch you this morning, this afternoon. Is there anybody here um, uh, that... Uh, has an enlarged heart. That was the other thing. Uh, uh, you know, your heart's been working over time and it's gotten larger. There was some people in the first service, but he said, anybody here, thank you. And then the, the final thing was congestive heart failure. Is, is anybody here that that, that that their heart, you know, it can't work hard enough to just drain their body. That, that That's an issue and you have to be looked after by the doctors. Is that anybody here? Well, for those first two, I really believe that God wants to touch you. And as we break bread, I'm going to hand over to Ken. Uh, That's a great opportunity to reach out to the Lord and ask him to intervene in your life. And maybe after we've broken bread, there'll be further opportunity to get specific prayer. Because I believe God wants to give us some encouragement this morning as we are made more like Jesus. God bless you.